everybody this is double g for the fight game podcast happy thanksgiving to everyone uh though john uh i've I've seen some negativity around thanksgiving and i know historically you know when you want to discuss sort of like the the actual holiday and what it means i get the negativity but it seems like more people are coming out you know negative about thanksgiving so instead i'll say happy holidays to everybody but and happy turkey day and all that to you um, as we record, I think most people are going to hear this on Thursday or Friday if uh, if they need a little bit of audio for the holidays. Oh, yeah, I haven't heard about this negativity about Thanksgiving. I haven't really heard about it. But, fa- uh, fa- I've seen tons of Facebook uh, things where um, American in- people who have American Indian descent are posting about uh, it. it. And uh, even Kyrie Irving today, who... He has this interesting background where um you know the, the the star point guard for the Boston Celtics I guess his mother who passed away when he was very young has a little bit of American Indian in her and then he and his older sister actually uh they met up with the tribe and then they got like some special recognition and and so I saw him be negative about it. so look like I don't I I mean I enjoy the holiday because it's a family holiday to me but I completely understand the negativity surrounding it and sort of the historical you know it's sort of it's 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 like I mean we know about sin wrestling it's it's uh, creating a narrative that doesn't necessarily match the history so totally understand but I didn't want to offend folks by saying only happy thanksgiving I also wanted to you know just be be uh, sensitive about that issue but <clears throat> the the uh the show that we're going to do today is, uh, it's going to be a fun one, I think, because we have lots of stuff to talk about. We're going to call back and do a throwback to an old Thanksgiving match that we both really enjoy. Um, there's some news that's kind of out there, uh, and, and yeah, we're just going to have fun with it. So hopefully uh, everyone enjoys it on their holiday weekend. So first off, I think that the thing that I want to do is uh, last week we announced our Facebook group. And I want to just continue to uh, to talk about that, at least in the beginning of these podcasts. Um, if you enjoy Facebook and like to talk wrestling and MMA and boxing, uh, I think we have 59 people uh, on the uh, on, on the group now. And I, I even saw the um, uh, I saw Marcus Mack make a post in there or he made a comment at least. So even people, you know, coming out of the woodwork there uh, in the group, I, I I like what I'm seeing there. So uh, so if you like wrestling and all that stuff, go to uh, Facebook groups and just search for the Fight Game Podcast. We you know we're just talking stuff, you know, pretty much every day. I mean, we have tons, we have a few uh, threads go up every day, and people are just chatting. So that's out of the way. Let's talk uh, wrestling. Um, I guess the big the big thing this weekend was the Survivor Series, which both of us got to watch together and uh i think it it 
I think most people were pretty happy with the show overall. What were your uh, What was your take on just your enjoyment of this weekend Survivor Series? Um, I thought it was uh, good, saved by the the last two matches. I think going into those mat the last two, it was just like an okay pay per view. Nothing really stood out. I mean, the uh, Raw vs SmackDown men's match was has entertaining moments. Um. I wasn't really that into it. I did like some of the stuff they did in it, but uh, for the most part, at least it had the most energy in the crowd because the crowd was kind of kind of just there for a while. They finally picked up for that match, and then finally, when Ronda Charlotte started, that that really kicked the gear, and then capped off by the really damn good uh, Daniel Bryan versus uh, Brock Lesnar main event, which like I said, was a really hell of a hell of a main event. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that match, match a lot, and and Ronda. I, Performance with Charlotte was very good. Charlotte was great. I'm not sure if I really like having Ronda walk out of the beating she got, especially taking like the pillmanizer on the neck. Like I thought that was a little bit too much and kind of just erased what they did in a way. And it was a tough crowd, anyways. The crowd's just you know just they just want to cheer for Becky, and it's hard to take baby faces anymore. So. um I don't know. It's just weird. I just didn't. I just didn't like her walking out on her own power. I thought that. I think she been stretched out. I don't think she needs to be on TLC here in San Jose in a couple weeks. And I think her return should have been Royal Rumble. Um, but uh, but yeah, my thoughts. Uh, so what did you think? And this is kind of following up on your point about Ronda. So I mean, <laughs> she comes right out on Raw and is just like. I'm fighting champion, and you know if you don't fight, uh, if you you know if you don't defend your title, then you don't deserve to hold it, and all that stuff. And she had a match with Mickey James, like on Raw uh, the next day. It, I, I think now, you know, you may be closer to this just in your understanding uh, from a booking perspective, but it feels to me, based on the two matches you're talking about that what WWE does is they try to create moments, but sometimes those moments don't necessarily follow the storylines that they want to do, but because they know that when it comes to these big shows like a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania or a Survivor Series, they're getting covered by pop culture media a little bit more closely, and thus they're trying to sort of create like a PR moment so that they get retweets or that ESPN covers them or that, you know, you and I were talking about this on Sunday, that sports center moment, but yeah, it's all it is because it, if it doesn't really fit in the storyline, they, 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 they don't really care. They just are doing it for those moments. Yeah, exactly. Like I think they're looking for clips of Charlotte beating Rhonda up with the cane you know, to go around the circuit, you know, because she was, you know, really, Charlotte was really brutalized when it was Kane, and there's the welt on, on Ronda's arm, and uh, it's, I think that's what they're going for there. You know, like the most common person to look at that, think how stupid it is. Like seeing Charlotte Flair with the kendo stick beating up Ronda, just, I think most casual people would be either turned off by it or just, just think it's just totally stupid. Um, I mean, for, Booking standpoint, I think like what they're trying to do is like I think because she got such a negative reaction in L.A., which is 
you know, the pay-per-view crowds are always different, you know, than the house show. The house show matches, she's going to be cheered. It's just like a Roman Reigns thing, right? But on Raw, and even though she wasn't really booed that much on Raw, there's a little bit of booing, but not as much. I think they wanted to have her come out and be like, I'm a fighting champion, and try to get that, like, baby face reaction from the crowd to turn the crowd. I, I think they did a decent job with that. But, but why go through the whole filmonizing of the neck and... Like, it just meant nothing. But then again, Survivor Series, to them, was just its own own thing. Yeah. And then come Monday and Tuesday, we're back to our normal scheduled programming, you know, when it comes to WWE storyline. So it's just a really funky world in the WWE main roster. And when it comes to storyline, maybe we shouldn't really dive too deep because we'll just get headaches, you know? Yeah, that's... That's uh, a great point because you know we're gonna we're gonna talk about a show or sort a match from a show from you know thirty years ago that I did a little I was just kind of reading back about like that they they made sure that this storyline like had connections for like a year and a half and and it's like such a different WWE versus WWF from from that time frame because. You know, I mean, I, I get some of it when you have so many hours of TV, which is your, which is your own sort of deal, right? Like you, you, you're getting, you know, the, the reason they have so much TV is they can get money for it. And it's, you know, they're getting paid um, immediate money and maybe forfeiting some future money in the process, as we saw with them getting rid of pay-per-view and going to the strictly WWE network um, business model. Because they couldn't sell, like, the way that they tell stories today and the way that their product is today, they couldn't do, you know, they couldn't do 200,000 uh, buys on a, on a show like this. I, I mean, maybe they could, but it, it would seem to be a little harder. But I, I just wonder, you know, do we get to a point where every pay-per-view is sort of its own story and the TV is just for storylines that kind of, sort of get paid off, but... You know, things are not super connected. Like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this later in the show, but I, I saw Creed 2 tonight. And this, just the, the sacrifices they made to make sure that both casual fans and hardcore Rocky fans felt served by the movie was amazing. And it's just like WWE... Uh, on on the other side of that, absolutely doesn't care. Like they they just it, it doesn't really matter. And I do wonder if it goes back to the old adage of of how you treat your fans, right? Because you know back in the day, they you know it, it didn't seem like they had much respect for their fans, just sort of the way that they that they did stuff. And you would think that today, even though the casual fan base is, is pretty much non-existent. The fact that you can actually get on the Fox network or that ESPN.com and sometimes SportsCenter cares enough to, you know, to, to do a story on you or to, to show highlights, it still seems that they really, really don't believe that their hardcore fan base is either that smart or willing to change the channel and and watch something else like they they really believe that these folks are stubborn and will like continue watching them until you know until forever yeah i think they run the risk of just running off like the younger crowd you know move 
on to other things. I think, um, you know, after, after a while, you know, kids get a little smarter and things don't kind of make sense. or just gets kind of goofy. I mean, we're, we've been doing this for so long. We're, we're kind of creatures of habits, right? So we're just kind of like watching it. Plus we're covering it and, you know, a lot of our inner circles all involved in it. So we just kind of follow it. But like the casual fan, it's like, I don't think they're really hanging on as, as much as, as we were, you know, like from what I could tell, like, it seems like a lot of like, like, for example, like, you know, every time there's a, a big show like WWE or MMA, like people come up and talk to me about it. And for as far as series, I thought for sure I'd get a lot of people come up to me and only got like one guy. Yeah. And no one else really cared. <laughs> Usually I get about like, I don't know, like six to 10 people, like kind of, they kind of know, you know, in my involvement in wrestling. So they'll come and ask my opinion on every wrestling thing or anything. So, but this time around, like, I thought for sure because the Ronda thing and, and Charlotte, you know, giving her a beating, I think that would make the rounds on the gifts and the Instagram clips and stuff like that. Like, I know, I know it did, but like no, nothing. Like, like only one guy was like, "Oh, how'd you like it?" And that was basically all it was was us, and it was like no one, no one really cared. So yeah, yeah, I really don't think it's really grabbing that casual audience right now, and I don't know what it is. I, don't, I think Ronda early on did. But I don't know if it's really. People are like standing around. I think they were in for like the first couple of matches, and now they're kind of like, you know, now it's just back to the hardcore people who watch it every week, you know? So, what do you think about this? Which is, I think historically, WWE basically tells the audience from January through April, you really should care because we're busting our ass for those four months. But for the other eight months, you kind of can care, but it's not that big of a deal because we're not busting our ass for those other eight months. It's almost like that Royal Rumble to WrestleMania time period is where they go, okay, we're really going to, you know, we're really going to try to create some great stories. We're building towards this big thing. But when it's over... It's like, okay, you know, we're we're still going to try, but, you know, we're saving our best stuff for January through through April. And I think, you know, going back to this whole thing about if they how they treat their fans, I think the fans have smartened up to that, right? Like if you look at um the the network, the network buys, right? The network buys will will show that like they have this big ramp up and then uh they're they're basically in the negative for like the other 8 months or whatever. But and and here's another thing, just to kind of back up what you said about the the casual fan base, um, kind of not not really being uh, being there or or under or, or even wanting to to see what's going on is, um, you know Brian Alvarez used to always make this point, which is when he was watching during the Attitude Era, the average age of the fan watching at that time was his age, and what he noticed mm-hmm. is that every year after that. The age didn't stay the same when you're like you're talking about the young the young viewer, you know, thirty or actually no, twenty like twenty three or twenty four, right? The average age would continue to go up by one year. So basically, the audience who stuck around for the Attitude Era and like really stuck around as a hardcore fan would sort of grow with WWE. But now, so let's fast forward. You know, it's been 20 years since the Attitude Era, uh, since since it kind of began. Uh, 
the average age is not 20 years is not Alvarez anymore basically it is actually 10 years older than that so that tells me that the young fan is like dissipating at like even it, it just continues to 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 dissipate at higher frequencies yeah. over the over the last few years so i mean that that basically backs up what you said about that young audience and i don't i don't know what they can do uh, other than make stars which is really hard but you know it's it's pretty obvious that and, and here's the f- other funny thing about that is they're, they are like a PG-13 company now, right? Like they are trying to cater to a younger audience and except the audience just gets older and older and older. Like that doesn't make sense either. Yeah, very true. And it's always find it interesting when it runs to someone, they find out my involved with wrestling and I'm a fan of wrestling. And it's always like, yeah, I used to, I used to watch it. You know, I remember Stone Cold and The Rock. Like it's like totally like, 2000 you know what i mean 2001 yeah and then, yeah and that's it and then and like i never hear people go like oh yeah you know Roman Reigns, aj styles or and you know less less it's with a group of people that you know that's like hardcore fans like no one ever talks about wrestling out you know yeah. if they bring it up it's always about the rock it's always about stone cold or it goes even further macho man randy savage hulk hogan you know rick flair's you know, sometimes, but mostly it's like Hogan, the WWF era. So it's like, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's not like when the, I was the attitude era, everyone was talking about it. There's shirts everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It was so super hot. And I mean, I remember one time I was working in this retail uh, place and I'm sitting there and they're, they playing a, uh, uh, an ad for the cow palace for WCW for the Super Bowl. And the guy's like talking about Piper and Hogan, his customer. I'm like, ah, those guys are old, you know. <laughs> wow, it's like Jericho, like, like Crystal Wall, that guy's a little midget. Like, like, and I was like, it hit me hard. Like, like when I heard that, like, so I was like, wow, like people do think that, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, size back then, back then, size was important, right, to the casual audience, right? Well, I, I mean, you had your stars on that show mm-hmm. telling the fan base. That Chris Benoit was yeah. a midget, you know. So like, that, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. But I guess like when I talk wrestling with the casual fan, it's like more interesting to me than actually talking to it. Someone's like really hardcore into it because this cool, this curious to see like feedback from the guy that just tunes in here and there because it's just it's just kind of it's just really interesting what they think and you know just like a coworker when Ronda did WWE for the first time. She, she was really upset. <laughs> like yeah. she thought it was stupid and lame, and that just blew my mind, you know. And then it's like, oh, it's an interesting take on it, you know. Like, like you know, so I used to love her. You had see, blah blah. But then she lost. Like it was like the person that rotted, like can't stand. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The fan that turned her back. That fickle, cool, like, that fickle, non-loyal fan. Yeah, that fickle on it. Yeah, they, they 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 cheer when you're winning and, and hate you when you lose. So, just totally like I'm like, okay, I get it, Rhonda. <laughs> Yeah, so so I, I, I do, you know, when I, when I think about sort of the casual fan, it's mostly my kid because, you know, he's in college yeah. and, you know, he's that, you know, 19-year-old person who they can't seem to, to keep around. And he doesn't watch the TV, so he's not watching Raw, he's not watching SmackDown. What he is watching is their YouTube channel. 
And I was thinking about this the other day. I said, how long until, you know, WWE has these deals with Fox and USA? And I think the average age when it comes to TV ratings is going to continue to go up because part of this is also that the young younger generation isn't paying for cable anymore. Like, they're just not. They, they, they would just rather stream or, you know, find it somewhere on, you know, some hack, hacking websites or whatever. And so... I like I think it'd be smart for WWE to condense the three hour raw into a thirty minute YouTube show. Hit all the high spots. You know, this this uh five and a half minute Seth Rollins interview, just get to the point where he calls Dean Ambrose an asshole and Dean Ambrose comes out to fight him. Like I feel like if there's a way to connect with that audience, the way to do it is through YouTube or through Snapchat, or through Instagram with smaller bits of information because that's all they really care about anyways. They, they just want to kind of, they're, they're, you know, they're doing two or three different things at one time, talking to a friend on the phone and flipping through their Instagram and on their computer. Like, so I feel like WWE, and this is all, it was kind of all sports uh, as well, but WWE uh, in general because they're, they're, um, you know they're trying to to go after this 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 age of a fan. It's like, do you know cater to how that person watches content? And I I know you know they get decent views on like you know the six minute segments or whatever. But create a show that caters to that audience. Like maybe you can't do it live, right? Like I mean obviously you can't do it live, but maybe you can't do it like you know two hours after Raw ends. But maybe Tuesday morning you have the Raw recap. Uh, the YouTube version that's like 15 minutes long with nothing but the stuff that they only stuff they want you to care about anyways like no like that they don't really want us to care about you know Apollo Crews and Titus O'Neil the only reason those guys are even on the show is because they have three hours to fill so they don't like those guys are never on you know a network pay-per-view they're never on any important segments on a show so just eliminate that stuff and just hit me with 15 minutes on youtube i feel you know now you're gonna miss a lot of wrestling but you know back in the day when we were kids they made us pay for the wrestling right we didn't even get to see the Mm -hmm. wrestling and so i just i just feel like wwe um can do a lot better job trying to find that audience and um you know I, I don't think anybody is listening, but you know, there's an idea, and and maybe maybe it's hard with their TV deals to do stuff like that. But I mean, they have a YouTube channel; they're still putting stuff up there like immediately. Um, so maybe there's a, there's a way to do it. But I think I think that would be a way to to get that audience to to tune in and to check in a lot more frequently. I do like your idea, like a 30 minute show, but I think. Like people like you, like your son, I think you ask him like, would you sit there to watch like a thirty minute show on YouTube, or would you rather just click on the segments that they post up? I'm guessing he would say just click on the segments they post up because he can choose and pick which segment he wants to watch, right? So like if he's, only, if he's just into like Seth Rollins' program with Dean Ambrose, he'll just click on that and then skip uh, Braun Strowman if he's not into that. You know what I mean? Like he can. I think that's what they like. I think people will like. The new, like the millennials, like the just the the quick clips. You know, they see something on there. W puts up a little, like you said, six minute clip of 
what they have run raw. They click it, and that's what they're doing. But I do like the idea of a thirty minute show. I, I really do. Well, okay. So here's here's another here's another question. May, I think may, cut down raw to just two hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then they're gonna take like a fifty million dollar pay cut. Oh, well, eventually, <laughs> like USA is gonna do something like that. I don't know. I, I have a feeling, but we'll see. Okay, so 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 let's say you might you may be right about that. You may be right about that audience doesn't want to watch 20 minutes maybe they want to watch two minutes here and there but what if now this would actually hurt their tv negotiations because i was gonna say what if people like me and you who don't even like watching raw i would sit there for 20 minutes and watch a 20 minute version of raw as and and i'd have to be okay with not getting the wrestling right you have that's that's the one thing that I'd have to be okay mm-hmm. with, you know, that whatever that, you know, some of these 10 minute matches are, are, are okay. Like, you know, Ray Mysterio and Randy Orton on SmackDown was, was pretty decent. Um, and so I'd have to be okay with not getting that, but I feel like that caters to me a lot better than a three hour version of raw when, which if I actually get a chance to watch it, I'm fast forwarding through the whole thing and watching it in 30 minutes anyways. It's funny because, uh, you know, my vision of pro wrestling for Premier, if like if I had the budget and everything, the money behind it, you know, like it was just, we were just talking fantasy world, but like, like I originally had an idea, like if you had TV, the TV wouldn't be wrestling matches per se. Mm-hmm. It'd be more of like an hour of like the countdown show for UFC or 24 7. You're each week build, you know, taking a few of the matches, and you're doing interviews and training, and you show highlights of matches, but you're not necessarily showing the full match. Mm-hmm. And then, then you build to like a bigger show. Like, say you have like four weeks of the twenty-four-seven slash countdown type programming, and then you do a two-hour wrestling show mm-hmm. built off that. So it's more like you know character profile stuff because uh, I always thought that would be different, you know. I don't know if it worked, but, like, just that's how I kind of was thinking back then, and I still kind of think that way. I think I would try something because everyone's doing the same stuff, right? So, like, got to be somewhat different and some kind of niche, and I think that's what I would I would do, actually. So, so somewhat related is uh, Showtime put up their uh, countdown, or their, they call it All Access, actually, to Deontay Wilder against Tyson Fury, and they, they it, it aired originally on uh, Showtime. So you know that's a paid cable network. If you have Showtime, you you were able to watch it on the fir- the first airing. But then they put it on Facebook Watch, and then they put it on YouTube. So even if you didn't have Showtime, because it's a pay per view, they want you to buy the pay per view. So they're like, we're just going to share this thing in as many places as we want. And you know, my other kid. I sent it to him. I was like, oh, here's the YouTube link. And he's like, oh, cool. I'll, I'm going to watch the whole thing. And that was like 30 minutes. So, you know, for the for the mm-hmm. important, the important stuff, you know, maybe maybe people will sit there and watch for more than, you know, than just three or four minute clips. But so that all that being said, let, let's quickly get back to Survivor Series, because uh, <laughs> I want to talk about one specific thing, which is the Daniel Bryan and Brock Lesnar match. Now, I uh, I like it in wrestling when 
the booking and the matchmaking is smart enough to where even, you know, my pessimistic self, you know, I can get sucked in, right? And so we're watching this Daniel Bryan match, and we're all kind of looking at each other going like, oh, man, this is just like one of those old, Dan- you know, old Brock Lesnar matches where he just kills people, and then he's just going to pin them. And this is going on for like five minutes, or maybe even longer. I don't, I don't remember exact time. And then, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking like, okay, they're probably just going to beat Daniel Bryan really quickly. But if Daniel Bryan just shows some fight, like the crowd is going to go nuts because they're just waiting for it. And then Daniel Bryan, you know, kicks Brock a couple times and he gets some offense and he comes back. And I got I kind of got fooled. Like, I, I'm so happy when I can get fooled on stuff like that because it made me love that match a whole lot because I got sucked in. And now some folks will say, well, you know, it's just kind of like a, it, it, it's a boring style or whatever. Um, especially, you know, I get to sit through six minutes of, you know, this guy getting his ass kicked and, and sort of formulaic match. But at the end of the day, I was like, man, I got sucked in and uh, I really appreciated that main event at Survivor Series because, you know, no matter what, you got a really good match. Brock is still a badass and Daniel Bryan is still a great wrestler. Like nobody lost to me at least. And so uh, I just like it when, when that stuff happens in wrestling where it's just like, wow, I, I really appreciated that. And I was happy that I watched that match. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't, I never sitting there. I didn't think like he was never getting offense I and mean, it has to be some kind of hope. Right. I mean, I'm not, you know, even uh, most Brock matches, went like that you know what i mean like there's always that hope from the guy who's working you know every match you kind of go back and look at now now i didn't expect the his offense jane Bryan's offense to go as long as it did i thought it'd be like maybe one or two moves and then yeah. brock would hit the f5 and pin him yeah so it was nice to see it go long and it's nice to see brock really self Bryan. you always you tell like obviously that brock has a lot of respect for daniel Bryan. You know, I'm sure anyone, we know Paul Heyman has a lot of respect for Kenny O'Brien, which in turn makes Brock respect him, you know. So it it just, they, they came together for a really, really, really nice match. I know, like, we were debating about, like, was it too much zero, zero to hero, like, you know, his comeback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like our, 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 our good friend, Heartbreak Kid, David Rubio, was questioning that, and on him, he went back and rewatched it, and then he saw that, no, oh, you know, everything made sense. Yeah. So, and I, like I said, I, I really, I, that's probably, I think that might be my favorite WWE match this year, I mean, of the main roster. Yeah. So, I mean, I try, I can't, I can't, nothing came to mind, like, right away, like, this year that stands out to me, but, you know, that match really stands out for WWE. And, you know, you know Daniel Bryan, he's, he's a genius, one of the best ever put the match together and create a story. I was just really nervous that first German sweep like he takes <laughs> right on his head. And I don't oh know if that my was God. by design, which, which it can't, I mean, I can't imagine it's by design, but maybe, what, maybe he wanted to do something that looked dangerous enough that were like, get people's like heart pumping, you know, and it's yeah. for me, you know, yeah. so we know yeah. the history and I don't want to see anyone, you know, especially you know, being a father and you're being a father, like you know, we know he has a little a little girl at home. Like we don't want to see anyone get hurt. You know, I don't see anyone get hurt in wrestling ring. You know, like that. So it's 
it was kind of got my heart pounding, but uh, but I'm glad I'm glad he's okay and and you know I'm I'm really not sold on this heel run. I don't think he, I don't think he's really ever going to be booed and treated like a heel. But I mean, if anyone can get over it, it's Daniel Bryan, but I still just think the fans are just going to love me more and he's going to come out baby face out of this anyway. So yeah, 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 totally. Um, so all that being said. Uh, on SmackDown, Daniel Bryan basically came out and said that the Yes Movement is over. He, uh, he, you know, he turned on the fans, and he said that the fans were the first ones to turn on him. They didn't care about him having to retire. He loved wrestling so much. He, you know, he lived in a hyperbaric chamber for weeks or months or whatever he said. So it was a, it was a good promo. Uh, I think it's still going to be very hard to uh, boo him, but uh, but that was that. And then on the same SmackDown show. Charlotte comes mm-hmm. out, and she's just got done, you know, being just like killing Ronda, and uh, the uh, Iconics come out, and they basically start making fun of her, and I'm thinking like, okay, are who are we supposed to, like, who are we supposed to agree with here? The the Mean Girls making fun of this woman who just went buck wild crazy um, at. Uh, on the pay-per-view or, you know, and, and so they, they continue to berate her and then she decides to fight one of them, beats her up, then decides to fight the other one and beats her up. And then she takes a powder and she leaves. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm like, I, I, are they just trying to keep Charlotte on the same level as Becky and Rhonda? Like, what's the reason if she's not full heel, like what's the reason to kind of have heels attack her on that show? I think they're going to do a three-way main event at Rania when it comes to, I think they're going to put Charlotte in that match. But, you know, I know Ronda wants Becky and Becky, you know, that's kind of how things have fallen because of Becky's injuries. But I think they're going to do a three-way at WrestleMania between those three girls. I think they want a, a flair in there, you know, someone that's, you know, Ronda, WrestleMania, headlining main event, they're going to keep pushing that, even though they're going to have like three main events on that show. They want a, a, a casual audience to be like, Ronda Rousey, oh, main event of WrestleMania? Wow. And then Charlotte Flair, Flair, Ric Flair's daughter? Like, yeah, you know, kind of yeah, keep going. Yeah. You know, I just see them, I just see them doing that out of it. And, and I know, I, I read the rest. I went back and read the report on Wrestling Observer about the results for the fact that after our conversation, our DM conversation with Dave Dutra um, regarding this show, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm, I'm definitely not going back to watch this because, like, yeah, how could she go from killing Ronda, well, you know, tonizer with a chair to like beating up two heels in the neck? On you know, it's like I said, like Spiders was its own thing. It's it's. Almost like it, you know, it's its own thing for storyline wise, and we just go back to square one, you know, with their, you know, it's like, okay, that's a special thing, but now this is our normal storylines here, and uh, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. more head scratching stuff for the audience. So, like, and really, it just hurts Charlotte, right? Like, it's just, instead of like carrying over the momentum from what she did in Survivor Series, they're just really stopping it right, right from the go, you know? Yeah, I mean, when I when I did. Observer Radio with Big Dave. Uh, it's been over a week now. He he had said that someone from WWE told him this show 
or the the whole sort of Survivor Series thing where it's brand versus brand. It's kind of outside the WWE universe because once that show's over, they're going to go right back to, you know, Daniel Bryan being heel and Charlotte, you know, and, and whoever being heel um, because they book themselves into the corner by doing the brand brand stuff. And they kind of have to put their storylines on pause or their heel versus babyface stuff on pause. So <laughs> we, we sort of expected it, but like to this extent, it was really like just mind boggling. Um so, uh, so Survivor Series, I would say, I would say it was a solid show, like you said, like the last four matches, because two or five live matches really good too. Um, that that's what I would watch. The Seth and Nakamura was good enough to to search out, but uh, none of the other stuff is really is really necessary to watch. Um, so, um, a show that you watched the night before that I didn't get to watch because I was in Arizona with my kids was Takeover. And um, everything I read about Takeover was that it was great. The you know maybe the main event w- was not as good as the other stuff. But what what uh, what what would you say? You know, if you're talking about you know matches of the night or matches of the weekend, like how would you rate some of the Takeover stuff with those last two uh, Survivor Series matches? Um, I rate definitely rate uh, Velveteen Dream and uh, Champa up there with you know Brock and Daniel Bryan and Ronda and Charlotte. Um, I would definitely. I mean, my favorite match of the weekend is Velveteen Dream Chapa, so I'd definitely rank it up there. Um, Black and uh, uh, Alistair Black and Johnny Gargano was really, really, really good, and it was pretty awesome to see Tom Caster referee that match, and he did a hell of a job. Um, you know, Shayna and Kyrie two out three falls was what we expected. Um, quick. Quick falls, but the action was fast and never slowed down. The crowd was super hot for it, which is great to see because sometimes it was like they kind of got sandwiched between like really good matches and the crowd would go down for the women's matches on takeover recently. So it was nice to see the crowd like right off the bat hot for this and featured a cool moment that kind of got overshadowed by the great Velveteen Dream and Champa match was when EO came out and did this big moonsault top to the floor, taking out the the four horsewomen, Marina and Jessman. And it was an awesome moonsault and she looked great and and looks like that could be the future. Well it's gonna be like a future program with it, you know, it's gonna be Dakota Kai, EO and Kyrie versus Shayna, Jess and Marina. But it looks like EO's being positioned as the next challenger, which Shayna, which will be pretty exciting. We'll probably have that take over in January, I assume. So we so got looking forward to that. No, keep going. No, so and they opened it with uh, Riddle coming out and Russell Hero, which we found we you know we all, everyone assumed it was going to be on the hour before, which is going to be on tonight's episode. But they end up shooting a quick angle where impromptu and Riddle got the quick knockout on. Oh no! Which I thought was pretty, pretty good. I really liked it, and, and like I was talking about today with you guys, like it kind of opens, keeps things still open for rematches, no longer match down the line for like a big TV main event, or maybe on a takeover in in, in January. You know, if they can keep, they kind of keep that, keep it up, and you know, real look like a star. He looked like a cool character to get behind. I think people are really gonna love him. So. um so we saw <clears throat> we we were at Takeover in San Jose, and 
And and so uh, you, we got to see Jessamine and Marina actually wrestle. So you, meant, you, you mentioned the angle that that looks to be coming. Um, what did you think about them? Because, you know, they have they've barely been wrestling at all. And, you know, they're going to be put into a, a very uh, highlighted uh, match uh, for for, you know, or angle upcoming. I feel like this is almost like a test to see where they are if they could move fast on, on something with, with, uh, Rhonda. And if not, then so be it, you know, then, then they'll wait a little bit longer. But I, I, I would say that I liked the, I, I liked what I saw from them with the, knowing that, you know, they are very new and I thought they showed a lot of poise. You know, there was, there, of course there's stuff, especially cause I was so close, um, that I could see certain things, but you know, I, I'm just, I'm just always impressed with the real athlete who takes to professional wrestling fairly quickly, uh, because it just shows you that you know these these women or or men, you know, you can you can say the same thing about someone like Matt Riddle or or, or whatever, how they are able to just pick it up and and like I don't know if it's athleticism or there's a mindset or there's like a stubbornness or whatever. But they're able to, you know, they, they were able to, to to do some pretty good stuff, uh, and I, you know, I can't imagine they've been, you know, they've had more than uh, a dozen matches or maybe even less than that. But what did you think of them in the ring, and what do you think about them kind of being pushed into the into the spotlight fairly quickly? Um, I don't mind. I think it's, you know, I think it's perfect. You know, NXT is a perfect perfect forum for that to give them a chance. Um, they're going to be working with really good opponents, you know, EO and Kyrie and, and, and Dakota Kai, you know, definitely going to help things along in, in there and, and teach them stuff. And, and, uh, like when it comes to like Jess, I mean, she, she's a natural out there. I think she showed a lot of poise. She, you know, there's some things that were a little bit rushed and some things I think, she could have took some character moments during the match. Like there's a moment, I think she just gives a knee and I'll say, yeah, to, to, to Dakota, cause it was a long heat and Dakota slumps into the corner. And I think that point, like she could have just like turned around and looked at the crowd and got some heat there. So they're kind of just sitting there looking at her and that's just like stuff that's going to come with experience. And, you know, like she's so new and in Marina too, Marina showed a lot of poise out there. She looked like a, a, a step behind Jess, but I think she's going to get it because she's an athlete. And it was like, that was a really nice surprise. Like I, I was expecting them to be on the show. I expected, uh, I, just, I, I found out Shane was wrestling or going to be there, but I didn't, I thought maybe she's wrestling and it was kind of cool to see them wrestle. Cause I've been like, ever since I've been waiting to see them wrestle. So yeah, it was nice. It was really cool. I, I, I got goosebumps actually when they came out. I found out it was them wrestling because I got excited. Because you know me, I like to see like young talent work. And I know Jess really loves professional wrestling and 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 wants to get in there. And it was something. And remember, I even told you about it when premiere when Shane was wrestling premiere. Like I wanted to get Jess in there too. You know, yeah, I even yeah. talked to I even talked to Shane about it at one point, and it was like she was still kind of with contract with USD, so she couldn't do any pro wrestling at the time. So. And that would have been fun to do, but I never got a chance. But uh, sh- I think she is going to be really, really good. I think Marina is going to be really good, too. Um, she might be, a step, like I said, a step behind, but she'll get there. Because you tell they all have the passion for it, you know? And and they want it, and they want to, they want to succeed at this. I, they're not just there to, to 
Deuce Angle, and and I think you know in the year from now, there's plenty of time for them to be ready for main roster stuff to do stuff with Ronda. Even by the summertime, I want to I want to I want to be I want to be surprised if they're up there um, and doing stuff. I, I think they're quick learners and they'll and they'll, they'll be successful. Now, uh, this is something that you would know uh, way better than me, but. I do wonder because, you know, Ronda herself hasn't been wrestling for that long. Um, And adding, you know, uh, you don't want to call them, actually, you can call Jessamyn and and Marina rookies. Shayna's not a rookie. Shayna's, you know, been wrestling for over a year. But to put them in such a high-profile program as you know, four women who actually haven't been doing this for very long. Um, if, you know, th- there's going to be some things that they can definitely get down. Like, they'll, they'll, you know, if they have matches, they'll rehearse them, especially pay-per-view ones. But just being regulars on TV and being not as seasoned, do you think that could be a, a problem? Or do you think that, you know, WWE will produce them you know, enough because that's what, that they're really good at doing that to, to where it wouldn't even matter. Like the, the age or the, or the, how, how, uh, lack of a veteran status they have, you know, w- wouldn't matter because WWE would sort of fix that sort of problem, but by, by just producing and, and making, not putting them in things where, you know, they have to necessarily think so quickly on their feet and stuff like that. No, I mean, in NXT, they're going to protect them and, and book them correctly, book them with people that can, Helped him along. Um, I don't think. I think Jess and, and Marina will be fine. I, don't, I think they'll 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 adapt well. Like I said, and and I got full I got full confidence in those girls to be really successful at this. Mm-hmm. So, and then and don't forget on TV. I mean, it's good though to get them out there. This is what I mean, w, I mean, first and foremost NXT. Yes, it's a brand. It's a successful brand of WWE, but it's also a training facility. For the main roster, so you put them on TV, and they're not going to go out there for they're not going to go out there for thirty minutes. You know, they'll be decent time that they can work with. It's edited. They work at stuff at the performer center. Like they'll have they'll they'll get the opportunity now. A real test is like the setting out there with you know a finish. Right. They have them call the ring, but that's just not wrestling today. Especially WWE, everything's really overproduced. And is it a positive? Is it a negative? I mean, if you talk to older wrestlers, um, it's a negative. If you talk to newer wrestlers, you know that's what that that's what they that's what they learn. You know, practicing, going mm-hmm. over matches. So, I think it's best to do both. I think it's best to like in practice, like learn to call a match. You know, with nothing. I'm, I'm sure they do that in the performance center. I mean, I could probably find out, but like, I'm sure they can. I'm sure they do stuff like that because I think it's good for a wrestler. For example, like, yeah, they practice everything. But what happens if something goes wrong? Like, what do you do? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think they 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 cover bases. That's like the best, you know, school in wrestling is the Performance Center. Um, I mean, with along with like the New Japan training, I think, like, you know, you can't argue like that what they get as an athlete there. Like, they, you get it all. You get the best trainers. You got great people to work with. And like I said. <laughs> They'll be fine now. They're just on the indies, you know. They're working. They'll get better, they, but they won't excel as much as they as they do the performance, the performance center, in my opinion. 
So, is there was there anything else at the uh, NXT takeover? I mean, we, we should shout out uh, Tom Castro. It's the first time you got to see him work for WWE, I believe, in the ring. Uh, yeah. he, he he was great. He was working uh, the main event um, and, and some other matches. So that was cool seeing him. Uh, I was watching. It's like I've n- I never really watch a referee all that closely, but since he was in there, I, I was watching him, and so I got to see like his mannerisms and you know just the way that he that he worked, and it, it was really cool seeing that. And I imagine much like seeing like I think I mentioned last week, much like seeing Jeff Cobb in the Cow Palace, or like you mentioned, you know, watching uh, you know kind kind of being interested to see Shayna because you know you know her. I imagine seeing Tom was like just like that, or even more so. Uh, emotional for you? Yeah, no, I was I was just pumped all night, you know, to to go to the show to see him perform, and and he didn't disappoint, man. The best the best referee I've ever seen, and and it's cool that they gave him like two of the biggest matches on that show. They gave him Gargano and Velveteen Dream, which probably was match of the night, right? I would say it was match of the night, and uh, you know, it, and he got the main event, which was really good. I thought the whole show was a lot of fun. The TV matches were good. Um, uh, you know, I, I just don't, I just, it was like it was like a cool two and a half hours, like fast and well produced. And I was like, I look forward to it, man. I wish those would come once a month. Honestly, I really enjoyed those those NXT shows when they come here in San Jose, and it's kind of like a special place, right? San Jose is like where they first kicked off the house, you know, the big you know, house show in the bigger building. So we kind of have, they, you know, there's kind of some love here in San Jose for WWE and NXT. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. Those shows are always fun. And, uh, especially the house show aspect of it, you get to see stuff that, uh, you know, you don't have to shoot it for TV. You can do other things in the ring where you're not, you don't have to look at the hard cam all the time and, you know, so produced. So I like to see that stuff, but this was the taping. So they, I mean, I think they taped probably just about everything, but, um, um, I do want to make mention, um, and fans will see it. I think next week. Yeah. We'll be during the, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm spoiler alert for y'all don't want to know like what's going to happen next week on NXT TV, but that, that was filmed at San Jose. And the main event was Keith Lee and Lars Lars Sullivan, and in the end, like you know, Kona comes out, and I you know I've seen him on TV before, but I haven't seen him in this new gimmick with his long blonde hair and his shades, and his presence was just amazing. I thought, like I really thought, like when he came out, like I was like, first I was like, who's this guy? And but he, well, my I was like drawn to him. You know? Yep. Yep. And I really think he is going to be something if if all goes well and they and they take care of him. You know, I think if he has that, he's tall, he has a good look. He's only twenty six years old or maybe even younger. I think he's related to like uh the barbarian or something like that from what I understand. And he trained with WXW at the office school, so there's that connection there, you know, like, you know, that, that Tongan Samoan kind of connection there. So, um, I just one to look out for, for sure. All right. So we, you know, we got through a lot of WWE stuff. I do want to mention one other piece of news that has kind of been hanging out there. We've talked about it a little bit. Um, the elite of the young bucks and Kenny Omega 
and Cody, uh, it looks like, so they, someone on Reddit found some information about things that were trademarked, which, uh, the trademark address is the same address as the, uh, as the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars. And so the Jaguars are owned by, uh, Shahid Khan and his son, Tony was the one who was originally tied to the, uh, folks in the elite for that for that one story from several weeks ago. And so people were sleuthing, uh, and they found a trademark called All Elite Wrestling, LLC. Mm -hmm. And the names filed for the trademark include All Elite Wrestling, AEW All Out, All Out, AEW Double or Nothing, Tuesday Night Dynamite, AEW Double or Nothing, and then some logos uh, that, that have been making the rounds. So... This is kind of a natural progression of some of the things that we've talked about, about these guys trying to possibly get something going on their own. But, you know, they also have other options, uh, being WWE, sticking with ROH and, and New Japan, though that one seems a little bit unlikely, at least the, at least the ROH piece. But uh, I think people are kind of trying to uh, connect all of the dots and trying to figure out what's going on. But, I mean, to me, this just is like, here's what happens when you create a company. And, like, here are the baby steps that you have to take. And so without a TV deal, I feel like this is just sort of like natural progression for some guys who are looking to start something. Uh, do you have any thoughts about, uh, you know, this these these trademarks being tied to the uh, the elite fellas. Getting their stuff together and 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 when they're, they're this is the route they're going to go, they have all that stuff ready to go and they can start pro producing logos and getting things going. But yeah, once it, you know, first things first, they got to get TV to survive. No TV is not going to last too long. It's just this, that's the name of the game and getting, you know, money coming in from that TV deal. We've seen, you know, TV deals going out, but to WWE, but it's hard for other people. Look, look at Jeff Jarrett, like, <laughs> how hard he tried to get a deal. Look at Impact Wrestling, you know, they're bartices are on pop, which probably won't last too much longer, and they could be selling the WWE soon, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, until they find something, and they're having a hard time to find something. So, um... We shall see. There's a lot of streaming services that are paying big money for boxing MMA. Maybe the zone gets into pro wrestling, but then like, what, is that really hitting? You know what I mean? Is that really hitting other than the hardcores? You know what I mean? Has it something that's going to sustain? You know, would the zone just pay up front first, and after a while, like, okay, or is this not working out for us and dropping them? So yeah. It's it's cool though, but it's it's, it's fun, exciting, and I, I hope they do get something off the ground because then it's more places for people to work, and and we'll see how it goes. And then definitely got to wish them success. If you don't, you're just kind of being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I can imagine. I, I I can imagine a lot of people hoping these guys fail. Um, well, the one thing that you mentioned that I I kind of wondered about myself, and and somebody asked me about this on Facebook, which is. 
or maybe they didn't ask me, but I, I they, they threw it out there and I answered it, which is, what about streaming? And immediately I thought, well, you know, if they could get, you know, 30 million or 50 million, it could be worth it. But then I thought about, well, if you're trying to sell shows, house shows, pay-per-views, if you're trying to run tours, I don't know if streaming is enough. I think you do need that, you know, the, that uh, 700,000 viewers or whatever on TV that you're going to get or, you know, up to a million maybe. And I don't know if you can get enough eyeballs on that stuff through the streaming. And maybe what you're actually doing is you're duplicating eyeballs from being the elite on streaming. You know, the same audience that what that will watch your YouTube show will probably be okay with streaming, but it's that, you know, it's that group of folks that they don't stream TV. You know, they're still a valuable asset to, uh, to, to wrestling. And I think, you know, I think it it could be, I, I, I think you want TV for that reason because you don't want to alienate uh, a, a a viewer who's just not streaming. So I I personally think TV is 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 of much importance for them over streaming, but I could see it as a plan B for sure. Um, well, look at NXT, look at NXT, the main the main touring brand. Like what is, what does it do? Like thousand to like two thousand. I think the mm-hmm. average was like what seven hundred. I think was like all in all with all the. With all the Shows that's just basically streaming on, on on the W network. So, say streaming on Hulu or All Elite, I just think they'll probably do that range. You know, a thousand, fifteen hundred. It'll be hot for a while, but you got to keep sustaining this. You know what I mean? Like, like at the same time, like they're Young Bucks and Cody. Omega, they're hot acts, but we don't see them wrestling every week. You know, we don't see them every week. So, what happens when they are every week? Does how do you keep the excitement? You know what I mean? How do you keep that excitement going? You know, yep. for after after the first few times, like it's going to be cool for sure in the beginning. But how do you keep it going? What's your what's your plan after that? That's I mean, that's that's the key, and you don't know really until you start going. You know, you gotta you know you gotta make adjustments as you go. And I do think they got smart people behind it. I think Cody's very very smart. I think you know the Young Bucks are obviously very smart when it comes to the marketing. Um, Omega seems to be a smart guy, but like 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 I want to. I'm curious. I'm, just, I, I'm hoping against the ground because I want to see it and analyze it honestly by weekly basis because by weekly basis, I just want to see like how they're gonna just because. A lot of things going in, you know, into running a wrestling promotion, uh, especially at that level. So it's just curious to see how. But I, I, like I said, I wish something but success and cool to see my friends get more spots and be able to make more wrestling money on wrestling because there's a lot of great talent out there to go around. There's tons. Absolutely. So we decided this is not part of what's John watching, but we decided to look back in the in the archives and watch a show that or or a match basically a main match that was related to thanksgiving uh in 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 history and so we decided to go back 30 years to watch the main event 
of Survivor Series 1988, which is Hogan and Savage's team, the Mega Powers, with uh, Coco Beware, Hercules, and Hillbilly Jim on their t- on their side <laughs> against DB, uh, uh, Boss Man and Akeem, Twin Towers, and the rest of their team was uh, Ted DiBiase and uh, the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, and who was their, who was their fifth? Who am I missing? Oh, King Haku. King Haku. King Haku, yeah. How can, so, how can you miss King Haku, man? I know. He was like the, the last of that like, team. like the guy in the match, the whole match. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, what? what it, it was great for me to watch this match again because, I mean, honest to God, I probably haven't watched this match in 30 years, right? I probably watched it when it happened and then uh, maybe rented the VHS once. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it was just great to watch. I actually watched the whole show. Like, that didn't really pay close attention to it, but... You know, whenever I watch old matches, I think back, I try to think back and go, what made me really like this when I was a kid? Like, mm-hmm. what was it that really captured my eye? And um, I think I think one of the main things, and it, it's kind of just throughout this card, is they had characters that, you know, they had an interesting way of making folks you know in the main event so your top guys then you know you're sort of your upper mid card guys then your mid card guys and sometimes they would you know change them in and out in and out um but they did such a good job making a lot of guys feel important on in in all four of the matches and i'm talking about someone like ravishing rick rude like imagine how WWE would book Ravishing Rick Rude today. Like he'd he'd lose on TV, uh, you know, every other week because that's just the way they do it. And uh, you know, and he'd he'd win some matches and and he'd be booked strong. And then all of a sudden he would uh, you know lose to somebody in in a, in a meaningless match. Like that's kind of how they do it today. But in this match, you know, I, I, it just made me think back on Ravishing Rick, Rude, Rick Rude's career, even in WCW. Like I, I don't. I, and I'm sure he lost matches even by pinfall, but I don't remember him being anything but a strong upper mid carter, and in some cases a main eventer. And I just watched that guy, and everything he did was strong. He never looked. He he was a heel, so sometimes he would he would look, you know, like sometimes he had to show his ass or whatever, but just. The way that they booked a lot of their top guys was was you know they just protected them and and it's not you don't see that in, in wrestling a lot today like I I, th- I think back to uh, Rey Mysterio right Rey Mysterio comes in he's he's like oh my god Rey Mysterio is back with WWE he uh, he goes to the Crown Jewel and he loses in the second round of the World Cup and then he's in Survivor Series and then he's he loses a fall like I don't know the third guy out. And then he's on SmackDown the next day, and he gets pinned by Randy Orton. That's like th- that's like three losses in a matter of like four weeks for Rey Mysterio, this great you know this great guy coming back hot. And like you just wouldn't see that you know back in the day. Now TV is a little bit different; it's all squash match TV back then. But they did have you know your Saturday night main events and 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 your pay per views. But it just made me realize that you know they've really really protected the guys they wanted to protect. And you know then you had your guys like. Red Rooster Terry Taylor, who who was gonna lose, or your hillbilly Jim, 
who, you know, they will always tell the story of him and Hulk Hogan discovering him to keep him at a certain level. But he was always going to do the job for the the, the up-and-coming heel at that moment. So it's just such a different way to look at wrestling compared to today. And I think that's the thing that I got out of watching that show. Because, like, if you look at the matches, the matches were, I would say, average. Like, if you're looking at from the eye of today if you like graded the match as a whole, but in spurts, they would build, you know, you'd, you'd sit there for 10 minutes going like, what the fuck is going on here? They're just like, they're just, and then boom, the last five minutes, the crowd's going crazy because they were just building, building, building. And, um, and so that was good. But like, you, you can also see that wrestling back then was not made for high definition cameras and you know 65 inch tvs like because there's a there there's a um a, a move in in the opener uh no i don't think it's maybe maybe it's the opener uh rick rude is uh basically doing a, a, an eye rake but with his foot on one of the guys and i was like uh-oh the camera's way too close to this guy and then he rakes the eye and it's like you know you you could see through the whole thing like there's like a gap of air <laughs> underneath it but but i also was like well but back in 1998 like they're not the you know rick root isn't wrestling for a specific camera and he doesn't have to be super snug on this thing he's wrestling for you know the first five rows of the of the crowd and going like as long as they don't see this i'm good and wrestling today is so much different. Everything is about the TV camera and that, you know, and, and the, the WWE cameras, you know, the uh, that poor producer in the back is like going, you know, this camera, this camera, this camera, this camera, because they don't want to show the, you know, the gaps in, in the work and stuff. So that was the other thing that that was really surprising. Um, but let's talk about this match and I'll, I'll let you kind of take us through the match. Um <laughs> Hogan, H- Hogan and Savage at this point are the mega powers, and they had just previously beat um, Andre and DiBiase at Survivor Series, and that was the first time they were on TV in a match together. So this is their second time in a match together as the mega powers, and there's so many small details that I love about this because the whole idea is that eventually Savage is going to turn. And you want to lay little clues and give him reasons to do so. And I thought they did such a tremendous job, even in this match. Yeah, I thought it was, it was really good. You know, when watching it again just made me think back to when I was a little kid watching this and just thinking, like, oh, these are Hulk Hogan's best friends. You know, <laughs> Coco Beware is the best friend of Hulk Hogan. And, Billy Jim, of course, he's the best friend. He's the one Hogan discovered him, and now Hercules with him because he just turned. He's a good guy now because Deviante trying to buy him as a slave. Yeah, it's just like I just remember like always like associating those guys as like best friends to Hulk Hogan. You know, I always thought that was pretty funny. And then um, you know, I love the I you know you know what I love. He's up there with my guilty pleasures. It's Akeem, the one man gang. I just <laughs> love that guy. I I just love how his his work his I just like how you know, he just goes in and so what he does is like so simple but so effective and and it's it all looks good. So is and, is the story you know, of Akeem 
that they were uh, making fun of Dusty? Yeah, I guess so. But, like, yeah, I always heard that. But it just doesn't seem, like, who cares? <laughs> like, I, don't get, I don't see why Dusty would be offended because he's a white guy that, you know, has some soul in him. Like, yeah. crap, right? Uh, by the way, Akeem's shirt, Akeem's shirt on the back of it is a an outline of the continent of Africa and the mm. letters spelling out Akeem right in the middle. That's what his outfit was. Yeah, blue and yellow, which <laughs> was ridiculous. But, you know, a big smile came across my face when Dive So Bro hit the hit the hit the speakers and out came Akeem doing his dance, you know, like that was pretty fantastic. And, you know, boss band too, like boss band so young and heavy here, but him, yeah. you know, him and Hogan had a nice, really good house show run in 1988 and, and 89, right. That's when he started drawing some money too. So like one of his better opponents at the time. So I think mean, it's just funny how like the top heels were like even big boss band. <laughs> you, you wouldn't think it, but, you know, they had some really good matches and you know, you had a lot of you know, the the Terry Taylor storyline where he's the red rooster where Bobby Heaton is taking this average guy, giving him some ridiculous gimmick, he's gonna make star of because that's how good of a manager he is and you know, it's just it's just it's just funny, you know, seeing this stuff and it's nice to see Macho Man in the ring and this full get up, you know, like as you remember, like that's how I remember Macho Man and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Coco's always fun and entertaining. Pillboy's um, just there, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, he he did absolutely <laughs> nothing. Yeah, well, that, that was the idea. Get him in, get him out, you know. And and uh, DiBiase, shoot, you know, freaking fantastic. One of the workhorses in the match. And Haku, man, MVP, right? Taking on the Mega Powers by himself <laughs> at the end there. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome leaving, you know, in the story leaving Savage by himself in there and getting a beating and then finally Hogan coming in and getting the pin, right? Save the day, picking up Elizabeth in the stair, right? The stank guy. From As, and, and he was kind of talking shit, too. He was like, well, what are you doing? Yeah, like, like, what do you mean? Yeah. So yeah, like, um, yeah, he was whispering to himself, like being pissed. Yeah. Love and, okay. it. So so here here's you know I mentioned the little clues being being dropped for for reasons for Savage to be mad. Um, so the way that they did the ring entrances is they would announce the I guess you know the, technically each team had two captains, but they would mm-hmm. play the music of like one of the captains, and then that guy would lead the five men or the five teams out. And then uh, the song would basically stay the same and it would play the whole time. So basically, you know, if it's Warriors team, Warriors music plays, he's coming out leading everybody and then everyone just follows to his theme. So they do that in every single match. Then in the main event, Savage, as the champion, comes out first with his music and then you get Hercules and Hillbilly and Coco following him. And then Hogan gets his own music. So something slightly, you know, a little bit of a a, a difference there. And then um, Hogan is wearing his normal gear, his Hulk rules shirt, his yellow tights, red boots, uh, the red, uh, the red bandana. And Savage is actually wearing Hogan's colors, but with the mega powers uh on, on the back of his tights 
And so that's another little thing like, oh, like Savage is really way more into this team than maybe Hogan is. Or, you know, maybe Hogan's just the big star. And, and, you know, even though Savage is the champ, like Hogan is still the guy. But I thought those two things were super interesting. And and it, it just shows you the lengths that WWF at the time would go to really sell you hard on a story like you would never, ever, 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 ever see that attention to detail today. It just doesn't happen anymore. And so, like those are the things that I was like, you know, watching it back, you're like, oh god, like that was so good for them to do stuff like that. And then, so like you mentioned, end of the match. Um, well, we'll, we'll kind of, I, I can kind of break down a little bit of, of the finish, but um, it's uh, it's three, it's it's basically four on two. Um, Coco and uh, Herc and uh, Hillbilly go out pretty quickly, actually. And on the other side, we, we mentioned the, the Red Rooster. He's the one that goes out. So it's four to two. And DiBiase is in the ring, and he's yelling at Hercules or something. And uh, Savage sneaks behind him and, and rolls him up, schoolboys him for, uh, for a pin. And so now it's three on two. And so what they do is they target Hogan... They handcuff him to the bottom ring rope, and uh, Bossman gets counted out because he's basically keeping Hogan outside, and so that you know they could handcuff him to the rope. So Bossman sort of takes one for the team, and then Hakeem, uh, uh, he and uh, he he starts you know he starts beating up Savage, and Bossman comes in in the ring, and they start double teaming Savage. And then uh, in double-teaming Savage, Akeem pushes the referee. So basically, you're two big heels who are just laying out everybody, including both Mega Powers. Because they're dumb heels, they've disqualified themselves and counted themselves out. But at the end of the day, they're sort of like, eh, we did what we came to do. Who who really gives a crap if we don't win this match? But let's leave Haku in there. And, you know, he, he Maybe he'll win it. And so Hogan is still tied up in, 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 in the rope with the handcuff. And now it's Macho Man and Haku, and Haku is now just having uh, he's having his way with the very weakened Macho Man. And Macho Man keeps going back to the corner, thinking Hogan's going to be there to tag him, and he's just exhausted. He's so beat up. He's so tired and frustrated. But every time he goes to the corner, that doggone Hulk Hogan is not there for the tag. He has, I don't know if he can't see that Hogan is like tied into the thing, but Hogan's like kind of on the ground at the same time, so maybe he can't see. And one so, of those wrestling, it's like one of those wrestling things where like you obviously can tell the guy's like being handcuffed, so he should not be upset that he's not in the corner, but just in wrestling, you know, it's one of those things like, how could you not be there? <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Like, so then. Uh, the Doctor of Style, Slick, who, holy cow, he's a tall dude. He's, yeah. like, dangling the handcuff keys in front of Hogan, kind of like, just like, you know, like, like like you play with, like, zoo animals and you try to tease them. That's what he's doing to Hogan. <clears throat> At some point, he and uh, he and Heenan get knocked into each other. And, uh, and, and Elizabeth... You know, she Hogan tells her, like, you know, go grab the keys. So Elizabeth pulls the keys out of Slick's pocket. And uh, Jesse the Body was so great because he said exactly the same thing I was thinking. Oh, she's about to she's about to steal his wallet. (laughs) I just started I started laughing. (laughs) This is such a Jesse thing to say. Oh, Elizabeth is going after his wallet. What is she doing? And so they get the keys. Hogan is out. Hogan, you know, makes his way back to the corner. 
Savage doesn't actually tag Hogan. Savage gets pushed backwards and he kind of flails backwards into the into the corner and that kind of knocks himself against the bottom turnbuckle and as he's flying backwards Hogan takes uh, takes the tag so Hogan sort of in the right time in the right place of course Hogan is going to you know all the hard work that Savage has done in this match to keep them you know to stay in the match of course Hogan is going to reap the benefits Hogan quickly gets uh, Haku, big boot, leg drop, boom, one, two, three, gets the pin. Savage is kind of out of it. They've just won the match. Hogan is celebrating. He's posing. Savage is still in the corner, kind of like, what? I don't even know where I am. And Elizabeth walks over to Hogan, and I think she goes over to, like, grab Hogan's arm so that she can then grab Savage's arm. And then they she almost has a way to tell Hogan, like, yeah, like, we won, but let's make sure Randy is okay. Like, you got to make sure Randy's okay. And instead, Hogan is so oblivious, he picks up Elizabeth and just twirls her around. And right as he twirls her around, that's when Savage sees what's going on and kind of comes to. And, of course, you know, Randy Savage, even as a good guy, you know, not not, not the most stable and non-jealous person in the world, gets very upset. Mm-hmm. But Elizabeth is happy. Hogan is happy. She raises both of their arms. Savage is kind of just like has this really upset look, but he's he can't really hide that he's frustrated. But Hogan, being the oblivious guy that he is, he's just like, oh, you know, Randy's fine. You know, I'm not even going to pay attention to him being mad. We're celebrating. We just won this match. So classic. Like, I'm I'm watching this with 2018 eyes. Obviously, knowing how the turn happens, and I'm just like. Man, Hogan, why are you so oblivious? Like, you, you, your guy has just killed himself to stay in this match. You've reaped the benefits. I'm with, I'm with Randy. Uh, the Hulkster had jealous eyes. I'm with Macho Man on this one. Hogan was just over, overzealous, you know, or just a little, <laughs> he's just a little excited. They, they won a big match, a big pay per view, you know, he just wants to celebrate, you know, he didn't. You know, he didn't realize. He just pumped up. He forgot, you know, forgot his buddy for a second. But I, I really like this match. I like the finish. And what I liked about the moment where Savage doesn't tag Hogan, but tag, Hogan tags him. Yeah. Savage just falls back. Now, he doesn't get pushed back. Haku gives him the Zavat kick. And the Zavat kick, the, the force of the Zavat kick, pushes Savage into the corner. That's now, what it was. That's what it was. What makes that so cool, and which I... When I rewatched the match later on, I just felt I love that little moment because, as a kid, you know when you're watching those key matches, Hot Kigaku at the time, his finisher was the big Savat kick, right? Like he would just finish his opponents all the time, and I loved that kick. I loved Haku, and then he kicks it here. You're like, oh no, he's gonna hit the boom, but it seeps and then. By instant wrestling luck, right? Like he just <laughs> falls back into Hogan, makes a tag. I thought that was, I thought that was so cool. You know, that that, that little that little attention to like, you know, playing off stuff is just like one of my favorite things about putting matches together or and thinking about matches. It's really, really, really cool. And yeah, I love this match. I'm glad uh, glad we got to rewatch it because it just brought back a lot of great memories. Um, you know, Hogan Savage. From eighty eight to eighty nine is definitely one of my favorite programs of all time, one of the best programs in wrestling history, in my opinion. 
you know, Vince's, I think, greatest work, really, when it comes to, like, laying from a program from you know, beginning to end. And it did a really great vibrate WrestleMania five, and I remember like, gosh, that that was like schoolyard talk mm-hmm. for WrestleMania five. Hogan, Savage, who do you got? Like, like a lot of people didn't see. I remember, I remember this. A lot of people in my school didn't see Savage actually as a heel. It wasn't until Scary Sherry or <laughs> Sensational Sherry became his manager, where like it almost hit, hit everyone. Right? It was like, oh, what? You know, that, I mean, it's funny because everyone, it was kind of divided a little bit, you know, and at the time I was more of a Hogan guy. I was like, well, Hogan's, you know, the good guy, really, because, you know, that's what I grew up on, Hogan. But I love Savage, too. You know, Savage has one of the coolest fish and moves all time, the flying elbow up top. And, uh, and, uh, in which he hit great on, on Red Rooster in this match, too. Yeah. It was cool. Uh, and also that hooking clothesline where he, like, he bumps out like the, you know, he's you know he's a stay on his feet. He just hooks the guy and goes to his back. Like I love that clothesline. Savage is the man, and uh, it's cool to see Velveteen Dream take a lot from Randy Savage and big influence on him. Savage and Shawn Michaels, so he's keeping that Savage vibe going, which is which was really cool. But uh, yeah, this is a really fun match to go back and watch. Is '88 Survivor Series is my by far my favorite Survivor Series of all time. I've watched that so many times. It was one of the... I remember my friend had it on tape and I just borrowed it from and never gave it back pretty much. Because <laughs> he, he will... In, in, in the end, he really got out of wrestling as soon as like he introduced... You know, as he was into it, he got out of the past and I was like still in it. You know, still in it now. And so I just remember like re-watching, especially that tag match, the 10-man tag match. Oh, goodness. And uh, it's funny because like... Um... In a lot of people, a lot of versions out there is just a commercial version, right? So you don't see the longer version of the Rick Rude, Andre Giant team versus Paxall team match, right? They kind of cut that one way down on the commercial on the commercial tape. If you remember that, um, you know. So it, it, I mean, I watched a couple other matches. It was a lot of fun to rewatch this rewatch this event, and it's one I do tune in every few years and stuff because it just brings back a lot of great memories. So I think we're gonna. I think what we're gonna have to do one of these days, we're just gonna have to break down the uh, the whole Mega Powers angle uh, because it's so great. Like you know, you know this. Is so so this would be November, and then in in January uh, it's the Royal Rumble, and you know Hogan accidentally mm-hmm. eliminates you know Savage from the match. Um, he didn't and, mean to. He yeah, was trying to hit Bad News Brown and someone else. And accident. It was. It was an accident. You know. Man, and, and poor Hogan, man. And then that leads into the, into the turn, and and so just so many. So like the intricate details of that stuff is is so is so great. And maybe one of these days we'll we'll break it down because I'm sure we'll have uh, many opportunities to do so. So it starts. It it starts at WrestleMania four, right? So WrestleMania, WrestleMania, really. It's actually, um, or even before that, maybe it actually starts at like a Saturday night main event in like late '87 because because Honky Tonk Man. Yes, and the Heart Foundation, I believe they they like triple team him, and they like they like are ready to like do something to Elizabeth too at some point. So yeah, that's when it starts, and and this is what I was talking about, like the brilliance of long term booking, which is from late '87. Um, until that survive that that SummerSlam match in '88 when they tagged for the first time, they w- they never had a match together on TV. They had 
I want to say three dark match house show matches together, but only in six mans. And so, you know, they say they really saved that for for SummerSlam, um, you know, when they finally tagged together. So I thought that was that was pretty, you know, just the and back then, again, you know, we'll, we'll say this. You, you were able to be a little bit more patient because you didn't have so much TV. Um, yeah. But but yeah, just 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 great. So. Yeah, one of these days we'll, yeah, you get we'll break Ron, that whole you get thing down. You get Ron Garvin think like Volkov singles match on Superstars. Like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> you know? Whoa, a big match, you know? And you realize, like, oh, shit. that. <laughs> you know, I like Ron yeah. Garvin, like, well, just rough, some rough days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, just, just one, my, my favorite moment of the show, just from, like, a, something that, that I observed with 2018 eyes versus when I was a kid, so there's a moment in the tag match, uh, the tag teams match. So you you know this is this is the show where the powers of pain and demolition actually flip babyface and and heal, mm. and Mr. Fuji goes with the powers of pain, and so there's a moment in the match where because you have ten men on each side essentially taking up half of each side of the half of the ring, right? You basically split the ring in half and. 10 guys are on one side and 10 guys are on the other side. There's not a whole lot of room. So there's a part in the, in the match where uh, barbarian is getting beat on. I'm I'm, I can't, I'm trying to, I can't remember exactly who's beating on him. And so, uh, and so um, Sean Michaels is on the babyface side. So at this point, powers painter on the babyface team. And all, he literally has to maybe extend his arm out. Maybe six inches and he could tag Barbarian and come in and help the poor Barbarian. The poor Barbarian is getting his butt kicked, but they, he, they, I'm sure they weren't supposed to get that close to the ropes. So instead, he's pulling backwards, like he's put, like he's leaning back uh, and thus pulling the top rope a little bit further back so it doesn't look like he's actually that close to the Barbarian. Oh, I was dying when I saw that. I was like, oh, man. I, I, uh, you yeah, know, this, this, little gems in there and stuff, you know, definitely going back, looking at some of the matches and, and, uh, interesting people involved, like Scott Casey and, uh, Sam Houston. And it's just, it's, 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 it's funny, but I definitely remember that, uh, that, that tag match. I just watched that match a lot. That's the last night for the British Bulldogs and WWF actually. Was that their last and match? So, uh, that's the last match. Yeah. I mean, they were just gigantic. I mean, mm-hmm. even Dynamite, like, because you you hear, you know, that Dynamite's back was jacked up, like, but God, he was still jacked to the gills. Yeah, he still looked good, and you know, doing after that, going back to uh, all Japan, he did, did well there for a while until he eventually took a turn on him. But uh, yeah, that's their last match, and they also that's the show they got in a fight. With uh, I mean, I'm not sure. Show. I think a couple shows before that they got in the fight that Rujo brothers and and um, I think uh, that was like the, I remember they had this discussion with McMahon. That was like the last night they basically came to us, and that was it. So go back with that story, but it's, um, you know, you know, Dynamite being a bully and shock got revenge. <laughs> you know, soccer punched him, and yeah, but they didn't work together in the match though, and they were professional, so. Um, the, uh, so the one other thing is, you know, we can't talk, we can't not talk about Elizabeth. 
So I'm watching Elizabeth in this match, and I'm like, God, you know, she's so pretty. Like, you rarely, like, now, I mean, there's tons of pretty women in wrestling today, but, you know, they, they, they mm-hmm. she was so uh, classy, you know, in that sense. And so I want to tell you a short, a quick short story, because we need to move on, because we're, I knew we would go a little long, because we had some stuff to talk about, but uh, I don't want to go too long. Uh, so I was talking to Big Dave about Missy Hyatt, and I was telling him the story of how, on Twitter, Missy Hyatt tweeted at me and reminded and, and remembered from when I hung out. I not even hung out with her. I spent 10 minutes with her just, you know, saying hi. And she, like, immediately remembered me and was like, oh, is that this place and this place? And I was like, God, like, that's so nice of her to, like, even have that recollection of, you know, just a fan, essentially a fan who, who uh, wanted to meet her. And so then we started talking about Missy. And Dave goes, he goes, you know... Uh, Missy in her prime, if she was to just kind of, you know, be out in public, uh, I think she was prettier than Miss Elizabeth in the same, you know, in in public, just in in person. And I was like, what? Like, how is that even possible? Like, Miss Elizabeth was the most beautiful woman in the history of the world when I was 12 years old. And he's like, no, like, if you compared the two, I think Missy was actually more, uh, you know, more pretty than, than she was. And so I say that to, to, to just say, God damn, how pretty was Missy Hyatt if she was prettier than Miss Elizabeth in the year 1988? Jesus Christ. Uh, I would definitely take Missy Hyatt in 1989 over Elizabeth in 89. I tell you, Elizabeth. Well, I mean, I mean from, from, a sec, from a sex symbol, definitely. Yeah. But I just thought, you know, I just yeah. thought she was the prettiest woman in the whole wide world, you know. Oh yeah, man! Remember that 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 picture of her in the white? I mean, that that classic picture of her. Um, I think all every guy in America had, you know, wrestling fan had that picture on their wall. No, I did. Um, you know, she's definitely she's definitely very pretty, you know, and and uh, but I did dig the nitro heel a little bit. Uh, I called the Cougar Elizabeth back in the day. Liz. <laughs> yeah, she was. Uh, she was a very, very, very beautiful. And so was Miss High. Miss High was just gorgeous, especially in '89. It's and you know, Miss High is one of those ones that you know you see on the street and it's, she'll she'll call it accidents. You know, that's just just a stunner with the blonde hair and stuff. So uh, yeah, it's just cool, man. That's cool, Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, it's just one of the all-time classic. I mean, I mean, women today ballets are. Just, compared to her, you know, still to stay because she's one of the greatest of all times, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, like I said, we, we are, uh, we're, we're kind of going a little bit long here, but I want to get to, uh, I don't know if you, I mean, because we had to watch a lot of stuff this week just to keep up with what was going on in wrestling. Did you watch anything else for, uh, for your segment of What's John Watching? Um, I've been watching the uh, World Strong Attacking Tournament for all Japan, um, watched every night so far, and it's been it's been good. Nothing, nothing really barn burner. Um, nothing like to go out and ready to see like oh, I have to see this like almost five star match. Nothing like that. Uh, just really good wrestling. So underwhelming wrestling, but uh, there's this one match. It was uh, Joe Doring and Dylan James, two big American monsters versus these other American monsters, Perot from Florida and um, Odinson from, I think, Georgia. And the match was fine. Like, I didn't see anything, like... The only thing I saw was, like, when Odinson was pinned by Doring, 
in the one, two, three, but I saw him do the strong kick out after the three count, right? Kicks his shoulder out a little bit. And Dorian just starts kicking him, like just give him a couple of good stiff kicks to the back after that. And then Perot, he just comes in and thinks like, there's a brawl still going on, but then like <laughs> Dorian just like stops him and like, no, like just stop it or whatever. And then and then they had like this backstage promo, which they do, and he's, you know, and it just starts, it just is how it goes. It's just, you see Dorn really frustrated, goes, let's bury him. (laughs) And then Dylan Dylan James comes in and goes, hey, you fucking jobbers. Wow. And then, and then Dorn goes, watch the F-bombs. And then then Dylan James continues to go, he goes, you guys came over here, should have been the junior tag league. And then he said something I couldn't make out. Like, I don't know if it's in Japanese or just he was mumbling and that was it. I just thought that was a really – they were not happy, apparently, with the <laughs> performance of Perot. And, 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 uh, and we were talking about testing in detail. Um, Kento Miyahara, who is the Triple Crown champion, his tag team partner is Yoshitatsu. And in these tournaments, usually there's, like, that one guy that's always loose the ball, and that's Yoshitatsu, right? That's yeah. his job of the team. Unless, like, they're going to build up a Triple Crown challenger, then Kento Miyahara gets pinned. So the first couple matches, you know, they, they've lost. And Yoshitatsu took the pin. The third match they won, and Yoshitatsu got the pin to win the match. Wow! Which I like because, like, because you don't, you don't, you know, you don't make him the weak link. Just you know, you, you don't designate the weak link. Like he's still. I think that was cool because Kento Mihara doesn't need the pin, right? Right. He really doesn't need it, and so it was kind of <laughs> cool. I, I like that. I really like that little added. Uh, Elements booking the matches. I really like look out for stuff like that. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. So that's, that's what I'm watching. Um, I got to catch up on the New Japan Tag League. Um, but uh, I'll probably catch Jeff's match, the second match, probably tonight before I go to bed. So. Yeah, I need to watch those two. I want to watch, you know, mostly those, mostly just Jeff's, Jeff's stuff. Um, but I do know that uh, in Japan, he is not, he, he doesn't seem to be eating well. <laughs> yeah, that Instagram post was I was dying. That was great. Yeah, Go check out Jeff Cobb's Instagram. And you'll see what we're talking about. He's he's a crack up. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> I, I will quickly add what I'm watching, only because I saw Creed two tonight, and uh, it's worth watching. If you are a Rocky fan historically, it's worth watching. If you enjoyed Creed one, it's worth watching. And if you are someone who doesn't really know the uh, the whole franchise, but is like a Michael B. Jordan fan or maybe a Tessa Thompson fan, um, I think it's worth watching. Now you may have to go with a friend to kind of help you figure out some of the story because it is they they do a great job of fan service for this second Creed. Like there, I'm not I'm not going to spoil anything. So don't don't worry about it. But there are. Um, some great cameos. Um, there are some great, like, callbacks to uh, previous movies where you're like, wow, they really went to that next level of, of detail to make sure that this thing made sense to people who are huge fans of, you know, the previous movies. So all that stuff is really good. The problem, the only real problem with the movie is that Creed 1 was so good that I don't think it can really match it. And the other thing that I, that I thought about was, I don't know if they can do a Creed 3 because they, just like what other story can you tell 
that hasn't already been told in Rocky already, you know, because Rocky had the, you know, he's 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 uh, he's a million to one, and and uh, and then he, you know, he wins, and he people think he's lucky, and then he becomes civilized, and then he loses because he takes his eye uh, off the uh, off the ball, and then he gets the eye of the tiger back, and he wins, and then he has to defend a, a death, and he wins again. Like there's so many, only so many ways you can tell the sort of the comeback story. And, what about uh, the the tainted supplement story? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the poor guy, like Rocky, also had to go through bankruptcy, or you know, mm. someone stealing his money. He also had to go through concussions. He also had to go through his eye going bad and them thinking that he may go blind. Like the guy went through a lot just to get through this, uh, you know, the, this franchise. And and then when he was like you know in his fifties and fighting you know Antonio Tarver he had to go to the boxing commission and like get get some you know some some his license back so the, he, I feel like all of the stories have been told um, and and you'll have to be really creative to come up with a new story for Creed three but the best parts of the movie Michael B Jordan is one of the greatest actors one of the greatest young actors out there he he understands emotion and gives you like those feelings of like overwhelmingness when you're watching the movie. Tessa Thompson, great as well. My favorite almost of all time, Claire Huxtable, <laughs> Felicia Rashad. It's fantastic. She has way more lines in the second movie. Rocky's, you know, Stallone's also great though. I like in compared to the first Rocky, I thought there was a little bit more Stallone than I necessarily wanted um in this second film but it's just good man like you get the you you get all the feels when you watch this movie like uh almost like um almost like your childhood comes back in 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 a, in a sense which i know uh you know a lot of people when you know when they talk about you know movies or or like star wars for instance you know oh you know i, I want to re revisit my childhood that's why i love these movies like i don't necessarily want to revisit my childhood at all but this movie like <laughs> I mean, it's not because I had a bad childhood, just because I'm a flipping 42 years old. I don't want to feel like a kid again. But, uh, you know, it did, like, it just brought back, like, these funky, like, childhood emotions and feelings and, and stuff. And I was like, wow, like, I can remember where I was when I saw Rocky Five in the theater. You know, I can remember where I was when I saw Rocky Four in the theater. And it just kind of brought back those kind of memories, which are kind of cool because... You know, those when when we're kids, everything is so much bigger and more impressive and like more important. And today, you know, you and I can go see a movie every day of the week if we want. But when you're a kid, you're like once every three weeks you get to see a movie. So you it's more memorable. But like I did have some of those feelings. So that movie is very good at doing that. I suggest you see it for your wife. I think she would enjoy it because the scenes are so good but you may have to explain sort of why this happens and why this is important as as the movie goes on you might have to do that for her but otherwise really good did Ivan Drago say he will break him in see i or said i was i said i wasn't going to spoil things maybe okay off air off air then <laughs> <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'd get upset. But. Uh, 
No, but I call, was, I'm, I'm calling it. I called it on Twitter. That's why I was wondering if, it was, if I was right. <laughs> there, there, there's a couple of good scenes where, you know, you know, when movies are good is when you're like, and this is sort of what I'm, what I said about, you know, the the Daniel Bryan and Brock Lesnar match where you're like, oh, I hope this happens because if this happens, it's so cool, and then it happens, and you're like really happy. Like, there's several moments mm-hmm. like that in this movie, so. It, it, it's cool, cool. Uh, all, all five of us, my parents, both kids, we uh, we all enjoyed it. So um, last yeah, yeah. last bit of business here for us is uh, family time and the kids and Thanksgiving. I see Hunter uh, on uh, on Instagram, you know, with, uh, you know, wearing wearing some some very festive uh, Snapchat uh, gimmicks on him and. Your daughter is your your wife's really good at kind of getting them all you know dressed up and stuff. So, what what what's what's the story with uh, with Turkey Day? I'm going to my in laws tomorrow, and just, uh, just it's gonna be nice. Yeah, Chloe, we're trying to teach her what to be thankful for. So we keep asking her. The first time we asked her, it was mostly about her toys. <laughs> so, and then we kind of explained her what it's all about. She's kind of she's getting it. Yeah, Hunter turned. Uh, Six months a day, followed my wife posted pictures. He had the little half crown on. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, that was pretty... that's flipping crazy that he's already six months. I know. And Chloe walked at ten months. I was telling Katrina that, like, oh, in four months he'll be walking. She's like, no. And he, he's gearing to go, man. He wants to play with Chloe so bad and also chase my cat around. That's what he wants to. He's like, <laughs> cat. And, uh, but no, Chloe, she's, she's, Evolve energy as always, and now she's in this phase of taking forever to go to bed. Oh, every wow. piece in the book, every trick. I try to stay ahead of her, but she's always come up with new scenarios to come out to do something. Or you know, I'm hot. Take the blanket off her. I'm cold. She'll pull the shenanigans. I need to kiss mommy on the cheek. It's just like, oh, we're just like, and, and poor, and like we're, and like us, we get like we're like exhausted, right? But we're just, and I, then I feel guilty about that. Like, I go, why, why, why are we really being upset about this? Like, we ask we're exhausted because we worked all day and we're tired, but like, we can never get these moments again. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, just like, yeah. just, so if she wants to give us a kiss on the cheek, let's let's get that kiss on the cheek, you know. And, yeah, yeah. But you know, my my poor wife, you know, she's mostly yeah. Uh, you know, when she's not working, she's not home with the kids all day, so she's just exhausted, and and she just wants to put Hunter down, <laughs> just have some moment for herself, and and uh, but yeah, that's what's going on. There. This this nighttime thing, you know, like we try to start at eight o'clock because we want to get her bed by eight thirty. It's been creeping to the damn eight forty-five, nine o'clock. It's that right now. Yep, yep, yep. It's only going to get worse. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's only going to get worse because at some point she's going to be like able to stay up until like nine or ten o'clock, and then she's going to be like having homework, and then you're going to be like, "Where did the time go?" Like that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So. So, oh, so, so slow down, slow down the time as much as you can. So, yeah. uh, so I, I'm also going to my parents. My kids are going with their mom to the other side of the family. So it'll be pretty quiet. I'll be with my niece and nephew. So I'll have fun with them. But, um, I do have a little bit of a, of a, of a kid story, which is, um, 
we were at the movies, and so my my youngest, who just turned eighteen, you know, he's trying oh to he's trying to pull like a move on me. He's like, um, Dad, well, you know, Mom is being really mean today. You know, <laughs> she wouldn't give me any gas money, so I had to use my own gas money. I had to use my own money for gas, and now I don't have the and now the cash I was going to use for gas. I can't buy the shoes that I was going to buy after the movie was over. So can I Venmo you money and then you pull out cash and then you give it to me? Um, And then I was like, hmm, well, you know, we'll uh, we'll sort of figure it out. And so, you know, that wasn't the answer he actually necessarily wanted wanted to to hear. But I, I didn't really tell him no. I didn't tell him yes. I was like, oh, you know, we'll figure it out after the movies. And so uh, I remembered that my mom hadn't given him his birthday present yet because he just turned 18 like three days ago and she hadn't seen him. She hadn't seen him yet. And so I was like, oh, yeah, my, my mom probably have some money for him. So then I just like just kept pushing him off and pushing him off and pushing him off, knowing that she was actually going to have money for him. So, you know, then he gets the card, you know, we're at the movies, we're waiting for Creed 2 to come on. And I'm like, uh, you know, why don't you why don't you open the card? So he opens it and he, you know, he gets the money from her and he's like kind of, he's pretty pumped. And then I just lean over and go, um, so I, I, I guess you don't have to Venmo me money anymore. And he just kind of smiles. Like he knew that I knew what was going on. So, you know, that's this fun <laughs> stuff that you can, that you can still do with your kids, no matter, no matter the age. But, you know, while, you know, your daughter is asking you for, you know, treats and um and and staying up and you know soon hunter will be you know we'll be doing the same thing the kids are just all they do is is ask for stuff like it doesn't that never that will never stop they're gonna ask for stuff you know sometimes it'll be money sometimes it'll be uh you know it'll be other stuff it'll be services it'll be can you fix this but um (laughs) You know, uh, the, the Bill Cosby used to do a, an old stand-up comedy and say, you know, that, you know, his kids wouldn't even call him by his name anymore. The, the, his his name was literally Dad Can I. Like, that's that's just every sentence started with Dad Can I. And, that, and that's true. Like, it's what happens. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll be there soon for you. But, yeah, that, that's that's the story of a dad of a 19 and did, an 18-year-old. Uh, did your dad used to pull the old, like, Oh hey dad, um no. <laughs> like dad would do that. My dad would do that all the time. <laughs> Set you down like right away, like, no, wait, let me explain. <laughs> uh, lo- you know, right. I, I I I asked for some stuff, but I didn't go overboard because I had a little sister who was a little bit more of like a need I mean she just her personality is a little bit more needier than mine is, so I was like, Okay, I'm gonna cut my parents a little bit of slack here. I'm only gonna ask when I like really need it. But um but uh yeah, like uh like that that's just that's just what happens you're gonna have your gear your, your kids are gonna be all about you know they're gonna need you for everything and then they're gonna need you for nothing and then they're gonna need you really <laughs> importantly for this and then they're not gonna need you for like three weeks and then it's so yeah it, it's it, it's quite the deal as they get older but you still love them the same and then i still get to go see you know stuff like creed with them so that makes it that makes it worth it um but yeah, so I guess we're I guess we're done for the evening, and uh, and yeah, so everyone have a fun Thursday, eating hopefully all of the things. My goal 
is to weigh in Friday and only be maybe half a pound heavier than Thursday or than than Thursday. So <laughs> I think what I'm going to do is I'm not going to eat and then I'm going to have Thanksgiving dinner and then I'm not going to eat again for the until Friday. That's my goal. We'll see if that we'll see if I could actually make that work. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good plan. I'm I'm planning on eating light too during it. During it. Actually, I, actually, I lied. I think Trina has something cooking for breakfast. That's going to be kind of heavy. Hey, so. yeah, that, that's oh, fine. Oh, well. Uh, it's uh, okay because uh, Keto Guido is coming. <laughs> yes, on Friday, you and I are going are gonna to start going hard. Is it Friday keto. or Saturday? What, I mean, do you need it to be know. Saturday? Are we supposed to go to the... Are we supposed to go to Garrett Garrett on Friday? Maybe that's that's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah, well, but then so that I means don't... we're gonna have to get like hamburger steaks or something, and that's it. They have they do have the protein meal there. So yeah. yeah. But all right, man. I don't know. If I don't know if they're gonna serve that salad though. <laughs> oh, I know. The romaine lettuce. <laughs> all right, man. Oh, so man. Uh, have have a great have a great Thursday Thanksgiving Thursday with your family. I uh, hope you guys have a great time, and uh, that's it for everyone else. Also the same, uh, have, a, have a good one. For John, I'm Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.